Hello and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a podcast about news, politics, and pop culture on the Relay FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here not as always uh, with my guest co-host Rachel Foster. Hello. So, Rachel, you may have heard, um, if you've listened to any of my other shows, and also with this guest hosting appearance, uh, Rachel becomes the first person to be on all three of my current podcasts besides me, but um, she is another classmate of Jillian and ours, and um, since I am in four different countries this week and Jillian has a very busy job, we could not make it happen, so Rachel is here! Woo! I'm so honored to be the first person besides you. On all three podcasts. It's going to be fun. Um, Yeah, this is our first time having a guest host. And so no pressure, but you got to be great or we can never do it again. Yeah, no, I will. I will do my best to be as good a first guest host as I can possibly be. Well, I will tell you, though, there is little that you can do which would be less egregious than the way Jillian characterized um, the... (laughs) The now former White House communications director last week. Very extremely former. Um, I've never seen anyone last shorter than that in any official position ever. I have eggs that I bought before he was communications director that are still good now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I had clothing on the chair in front of my desk when he was selected that was still there until I took it off to sit in the chair for this podcast. Okay, that sounds like a problem you should address. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But no, okay, for those who don't know what we're talking about, um, Anthony Scaramucci, aka The Mooch, which is a nickname I still (laughs) hate, was briefly appointed the White House Communications Director last week, um, and after 10 days, wasn't removed from White House Communications Director after several egregious incidents um, and just foul language and incredibly (laughs) inappropriate suggestions about what Steve Bannon is attempting to do to himself. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, I think my favorite quote of his was his most PG, which was, I hate that in this town, meaning Washington, D.C., everyone's a backstabber. Where I'm from, we're all front stabbers. Well, he got front stabbed real fast. (laughs) He did. He did get front stabbed real fast. Yeah, he kind of captured the national imagination for this brief time. It's like already faded from the news, but like we had to talk about it. Just in these 10 days, his wife left him. He missed the birth of his child. He gave up his job or like he sold his company or something like his entire life came crumbling down. Oh, my God. I don't know. Do you? I like I can't feel bad for him though because like t- Trump <laughs> nope <laughs> I feel like that's kind of a rule of thumb if you join the Trump administration your life comes crumbling down it's instant karma but especially instant if you're the mooch incredibly fast um and so in the in the episode last week Jillian said that she believed that he would add quote unquote vibrancy to the white house <laughs> Which at this point I think is the best quote we've ever had on the show because that episode was like had aged badly before it had even come out because of some stuff that he would said (laughs) and then he got fired before this episode was even recorded. (laughs) Vibrancy. Well, he has certainly added something. Like she wasn't technically wrong. She wasn't wrong. That's the best part is that she technically wasn't wrong. 
He just didn't add didn't add vibrancy for very long. She did characterize it as not the kind of vibrancy the White House already has, as in the bad kind. And I think this may this may have been more of the bad kind. Yeah, I agree with that. Mostly it was just entertaining for us at home. Yeah. It was like some someone needed to throw us a good laugh, you know, at the expense of this man's <laughs> entire life. Oh yeah. In all seriousness though, how do you how do you run a government when people are getting fired like basically once a week? So many people have already left this administration. I've seen so many jokes <laughs> that are like, Do you think that Trump actually thinks he's supposed to be firing someone every week? <laughs> Old habits die hard. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Mm, too true but anyway yeah that's not this isn't a real topic because what this no one's even gonna care (laughs) but um i will probably also make fun of jillian when she's here next week for that again so yeah by the time next week's podcast happens someone else will be gone and that'll be the talk of twitter so i bet it's gonna be steve miller i hope so we'll get we'll get to that later but uh so one of the things that are actually important for the future as us as a species, uh, a really interesting thing is on the, the front page of the news today, which is that we've made a substantial leap in terms of gene editing. That's some scary stuff. I mean, anyone who watches Orphan Black will already have strong opinions about this, not to spoil anything. Um, like the premise of the show. <laughs> <laughs> like the premise of the show. Um, this kind of thing always worries me because it just sounds as an english major like man does it sound like the beginning of a dystopian novel um and i really i love science and i love science people and i love how much they discover but sometimes i think they need like humanities people to be like man that happened in 1984 or whichever book you want to pick and it was not good then so maybe we shouldn't try it now I just need to take one moment to appreciate the sentence you just said, which is, I love science. I love science people and the things they discover. <laughs> I do. I do. I'm I'm not the best at science, but I do my best as like a citizen of the world to understand it and to appreciate it and to support the people doing it. But uh, sometimes it leads us down slippery slopes. And that's what I'm worried about with this. <laughs> so this particular development... Um, was the editing of a dangerous mutation out of a gene in a human embryo, which is like a pretty cool thing. So we had this really this really dangerous disease, um, and it was heritable. And so they've not only been able to remove the mutation from these embryos, but they've established that they will no longer that they won't pass um, the disease onto their offspring as well, which is like a really substantial. Um, success in terms of gene editing because um they've never had something that was like this significant and successful in this realm before so they were like well this is good news and in a lot of ways it is really good news because i mean we we want to eliminate really dangerous genetic diseases but also where is the slope going right right that by itself is cool and amazing um but yeah, the, just the number one thing on my mind again is Orphan Black and thinking about like when people realize that we can edit genes, like how far do we take that? And what do we start characterizing at, as, as like a disease or an imperfection that we start getting rid of? And then at one point, does it totally fall off a ledge? And that's what scares me. Also, for those who don't know, Orphan Black is a TV show about clones and gene editing and like the ethics and the legality of, of 
gene editing is a really important theme of that television show. So just for clarification. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about this? I mean, I know you've given your general sense of your opinion already, but where do you think the line is? That, I think about this weirdly a lot. And I think um, it's a thing that probably the uh, people with disabilities community will have a lot to say about because I think that if we keep going down this path and like fixing heritable diseases and like a lot of that is great to a point but at what point do you say like this condition that changes a person's life is a problem and what will that say like for instance if they find a way to like I don't know how scientifically sound this is, but like if they found a way to edit out Down syndrome, like there are a bunch of people who find that their lives with Down syndrome are amazing and fulfilling and rich and the people around them love them and they have wonderful lives. And I, I struggle with at what point, like who, who gets to decide what we should fix and what we shouldn't fix? Ah, oh, it's, it's such a deep topic and it really freaks me out to think about us going down this path. It is it is a really hard question and i think it's especially be scary because this is one that we're facing imminently um and i mean the two of us aren't necessarily going to be the ones making this decision but there are going to have to be human beings who at some point have to sit down and figure this out and right right now there's not like like a blanket ban um on this kind of thing but there's really strict restrictions on the kind of editing that you can do on um, human genes and human embryos and so but a lot of that is because it's not safe and so the the better the technology is and the safer that it gets to do these kinds of things um, the faster we're going to reach this point yeah yeah i'm worried about the science basically going faster than the ethical considerations and the ability to have someone be able to say like okay now we have to stop I think you raise a really important point with um, this issue of deciding, like, what – I mean, it, it's really easy to look at uh, um, this this mutation that um, can just, like, end someone's life and say that's – that this has no benefit whatsoever. This is just something that hurts someone. Let's get rid of it versus something that's much um, more complicated, like Down syndrome, to use your example. Like, there are people who live, like – very fulfilling and happy lives um, and do not consider it a disability. So do we have the right to decide that, no, this is something that no one should ever have again? That like, this is inferior? Yeah. And if you, if you eradicate, if, if some agency says, oh, like, okay, we're going to get rid of Down syndrome and all future babies, like what message does that send to the people currently with Down syndrome? about who they are as people and about how we consider their personhood. Um, but at the same time, right, like when you think about the gene that they just edited, like they are saving lives. And that is a thing that now, I'm guessing with some more work, like no one will have to inherit. And that's like, that's good. But oh, there's so much conflict. I feel so conflicted about this. Another thing is even beyond the um, kind of science morality paradigm there's the social economic context of it because gene expression and gene editing is expensive and so what we're looking at here um, is the possibility of a divided society between people who can afford gene editing and people who can't 
You know, have you seen the movie Gattaca? I have not, but I've read parts of the book, yeah. If anyone in Quinn's audience has seen or read Gattaca, this is seriously reminding me of this movie right now. Yeah, it's going to be the, yeah, the kind of thing where like only people who already have money can afford to do this and make their lives better. And then the divide just grows. I mean, this, yeah, this is a thing in a lot of science fiction because I feel like this is such a captivating idea because we don't have the answer um, where it, the same thing is kind of like with time travel. It's like, well, if we as humans develop this power, how could we, ever, how do we even like be able to grasp what we should and should not do with it but unlike time travel we've actually like we're within striking distance of gene editing and so suddenly oh no right yeah the people who have been writing science fiction for decades and decades like it was all well and good to study it when the science wasn't a reality yet but now it kind of is so now we actually have to start thinking about this i wonder as well who is going to make those decisions because i mean i'm i'm as they're done currently, I believe they're done on a country-by-country country basis. Um, and so, you know, the United States has their own regulations, Great Britain has their own regulations, et cetera, et cetera. So does that mean that just, like, everyone will just go to Siberia to get their embryos edited or what? Oh, geez. <laughs> I mean, also the idea that it's possible that this administration will be the ones making these rules for the first time, that's just something I never, ever want to think about. <laughs> oh, that hurt my soul. <laughs> For the record, the face that Quinn just made is 100% priceless. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, have fun trying to fall asleep tonight. You may have noticed that I'm kind of avoiding answering any of the questions that I've posed. And that's because they're super hard questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. And this is something that I think about. And like you said, like this isn't exactly something that's taken us by surprise really i think that this is something that us as well as a lot of other people um have been thinking about extensively and i haven't come up with any hard and fast answers i would say in general i'm in favor of um like removing negative mutations but i think that um enhancing positive features like the, the possibility of being able to edit for you know eye color or you know muscles in your legs so you can run faster like i think that's de like that's definitely too far down the line but even over here in like removing negative things it, it gets really messy and complicated and what is just um a negative mutation and what is just like another way of living yeah yeah i definitely agree that this is not a question that we have enough information or expertise to answer now or anytime soon but um when it when this decision has to be made, it will take a lot of listening, um, which this administration is not great at. So we'll see how that goes. I don't even want to think about that. Sorry oh, to keep God. bringing it back around to the current administration. Oh my God. But Scientists out there, hold off on gene editing for the next three and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> don't do it. Um, did you, this was a long time ago, but the president of France flat out was like, hey, American scientists, if you feel like oppressed in your country, come over to France. And I was like, that is the smoothest move I have ever seen. He flat out was like, we know you're unhappy with the way your country's treating science. How about you come work for us? Oh my God, I'm so down, except for I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you and I are going to be the people telling the scientists to like chill out and, and think for a second. 
And I know it's like kind of a, a stereotype that like scientists are just too involved in their science and don't think about the humanities aspect of it. I don't think that's totally true because I do think a lot of them um, have, you know, more social science no. backgrounds yeah. and or just like a more awareness of the world. But there are definitely some people out there who have not thought through the ramifications. I mean, like, isn't that the reason why Alfred Nobel, who created Dynamite, then went on to create the Nobel Prize because he felt so guilty for what he created? So. Hopefully it won't turn into something like that. I mean, honestly, that was a smooth move because it worked 100%. No one remembers that he invented dynamite, but everyone knows what a Nobel Prize is. Oh, yeah. I mean, his name is not a, it, dynamite is not called Nobel Dynamite, but the prize is. So, you know, he was really thinking about that. So, I mean, we've discovered the secret is um, if you contribute to human progress in a way that you think is actually bad, um, be incredibly rich and then do a good thing and put your name on it. And try not to be like the mooch. This is going to follow me around. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it will forever. Um, just like the mooch's old tweets. Okay, I promise I'm done with this bit now. I just... I, I hate the name. That's just... I, get, I hate it. <laughs> so speaking of the bane of my and everyone's existence... Not enough people's existence, to be clear. That's... You're not wrong. <laughs> So this is a, an extremely new story, so um, unfortunately there may be some more developments um, before this episode is able to get up, but just a couple hours ago, Trump announced that he is going to introduce this bill to try to cut legal immigration levels. So he's basically trying to cut levels almost in half, um, and he's doing this, well, he's, this is not anywhere close to being law yet. But the proposition is basically to cut down on green card options for especially family members who are not spouses or minor children. Um, so adult children don't get preference through green cards anymore. Um, and they also want to have more requirements in terms of things like English proficiency and, you know, education level. And if you can afford to get your own health care, which is like I can't I can't even express the the emotions that my brain went through when i read that sentence but it wasn't pretty um and so this was all announced today um and i made a reference to steve miller earlier because he was um he's in the trump administration and he was doing this press conference um and then someone asked what about like the whole symbol of america and you know what about this the poem on the statue of liberty like it doesn't say anything on there about english proficiency and this guy is like, well, that poem was added later, and it's really, you know, this is the symbol of American freedom, but not for other people. Basically, the dude's trying to distance himself from the poem on the Statue of Liberty. Like, what are you doing? Okay, I have so many feelings about this. And I already, in like a default state, would have so many feelings about this, because I also study linguistics. And like, my first reaction, first of all, is like, America does not have an official language, so you can't, like, discriminate against people based on their English proficiency because English is not our official language. But also, I just went – first of all, I saw Indecent, the play on Broadway, last week, and then the day after that, I went to Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty for the first time with my family, and, like, nobody coming in – almost nobody coming in through Ellis Island, which is how we got most of the people in our country, like – 
most of them did not speak English. They had translators at every single step of the way because like at the point of what I am assuming, I might be wrong, but like the one of the greatest points of immigration to our country ever, like not even then when people were absolutely swarming to America did we require English proficiency and why should we start doing that now? And it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and it makes me so angry. So, so angry. Two things. I don't know if I like agree with the contention that Ellis Island is like how we got most of the people in the country. That's like maybe not a true fact. I probably I should have checked that before. <laughs> I think that's a bit of an exaggeration because like there were many, many places that people came from to enter the United States. That um, is very slash true. They already lived here. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but that's, that's a more minor point. Um, also, I think you should quickly explain indecent because um, I feel like based on the way you've already been talking about it, it's going to come up more. So do you want to share what it is real, really quickly? Okay. So indecent is a play on Broadway right now. It's closing very soon, um, but it is about this play called The God of Vengeance that was written by uh, a Jewish author in, I believe, Poland. And he wrote in Yiddish, and very few people write in Yiddish anymore. Um, but basically, this play had the first lesbian kiss ever on Broadway. And so it was basically brought all around Europe, and everyone loved it, and it was performed in Yiddish everywhere. And then they brought it um, downtown to New York, and people still loved it. But when they brought it uptown... Um, the entire production was sued for obscenity because of the lesbian kiss. Um, but also there's an entire scene where the whole cast goes through the Ellis Island line and you see people being sent back to their home country. And it's just, it's a really powerful story, not only about theater um, and about censorship, but also about immigration and um, the kind of immigration that makes America richer. And that's the kind of immigration that, this administration is trying to get rid of to be clear i believe in all types of immigration but like the show was so powerful and to then see the statue of liberty the next day and then to now hear that they're trying to cut down immigration even farther than they have already tried to is so so infuriating to me yeah i just want one big glaring question about this which is this is the the Republican line for so long has been, I support immigration, but legal immigration. And then suddenly they want to cut legal immigration in half. Like, what do you think the effect of that is going to be? It's not going to be less immigration. It's going to be less safe immigration. That's so true. It's it's. I see it as kind of um, a comparable thing to, like, the whole birth control thing, where, like, if you're cutting down people's access to birth control, like what do you think is going to happen? Um, it's yeah. If you get rid of the only legal way for someone to become an American citizen, like you hate illegal immigration so much, but like the number of people coming to America is not going to get smaller. It's just more of them are going to be illegal. If you stop giving them an avenue to become legal citizens, like it absolutely makes no sense. Honestly, I wasn't thinking about this before, but it is like obviously in broad strokes comparable to the whole birth control question because it's also like you would think they'd be going the opposite direction if they truly espouse the values that they say they espouse mm -hmm. but here we have this issue what could it possibly be <laughs> um maybe it's racism i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i want that on a bumper sticker <laughs> maybe it's racism. maybe it's racism <laughs> maybe it's maybelline <laughs>
maybe she, maybe she's born with it maybe it's racism <laughs> Um, to get a little bit into the specifics of this bill, the basic argument behind it is that, you know, immigrants are taking our jobs. And so there's been this quote unquote rapid growth of legal immigration levels. And so, um, there's fewer job opportunities for American workers. And so the idea is that we will make it much harder for foreign workers to come to the United States unless they prove some kind of um, significant uh, competency in some realm and then are able to like earn their place here. Um, and it's one of those things that like sounds good on paper, but it like starts to fall apart the second you really think about it. <laughs> For the reasons, for the the broad reasons we've already covered slash kind of mocked um, about, like, the realities of immigration and how you can't just stop immigration by making it illegal. Um, it'll stop some people for sure, but that's not, that's not a long-term solution. That's not going to have the required effect. And you're not going to get your stupid wall, Trump. So, oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You know what this also reminds me of? This has also reminded me of Prohibition, and we all know how that went. Um, I would also like to comment briefly that I'm currently on the New York Times article for this. And as I was scrolling down, the advertisement it gave me, ready for this, is 1984 on Broadway. Um, and it's just a little box that says war is peace. Ooh. And I'm freaking out because that was way too real. Other issues with this bill include, of course, the fact that it's unlikely to pass. I mean, I thought Trump was unlikely to become president. So, um, <laughs> but it's... It's pretty extreme, um, and so even moderate Republicans are unlikely to support it. This seems very similar politically to the way the health care bill fiasco seemed, in which Trump was like, I have this bold promise, um, and so we're going to try to push bills through Congress to try to fulfill these promises, even though a lot of them are really rushed slash not fully written, um, and they end up failing because... We actually have a couple of moderate Republicans who are like, maybe this isn't the best idea to just take away healthcare from millions of people with no plan. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Anyway, so I, 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 I see this as analogous to that um, in terms of the way this political process I kind of see going down. So they've, they've done pretty poorly with healthcare, thank God. Um, and <laughs> so now they're like, oh, let's pivot to immigration. But I, this is too extreme, I think, to I, hopefully – um, to get past. Yeah. I mean, also a lot of what I've seen people saying about this is like, oh, like America is not competitive. Like this will make America more competitive. Like, honestly, let's think about the things that we could do to make America competitive. One of them would be taking care of its citizens, which it's seriously failing on. So yeah, hopefully this goes the same way as the failed healthcare bill. We can all hope. But yeah, I agree. There, there's a lot of things that the United States could be doing at home to focus on increasing career prospects and, you know, job training programs and helping people not go into so much student debt and stuff like that, um, as opposed to just being obsessive about, like, the this idea that, you know, immigrants are stealing your jobs, um, even though immigrants usually don't work as much middle class jobs are generally brought in um for you know like really highly qualified positions or they're working like jobs that you don't want to work because they're really hard and they don't pay very well 
I also would like to point out that uh, Trump is married to a legal immigrant um, who got her legal status because she's a model. Um, I don't, I don't know what his plans are for uh, proving that you are like good enough to be an American, but maybe he should think about that and how his wife might feel about what he is doing. Honestly, expecting Trump to be good at immigration because of Melania is like expecting him to be um, good on not hanging out with Nazis because of Jared Kushner. (laughs) You know what? That is the truest thing I've heard all day. And I'm not sure he ever really thinks about, you know, his wife or anyone else or has any empathy at all. So there's that. If you were in charge of United States immigration, what would you do? So my idea has always been, I think about this a lot, actually. If I were in charge of America, I basically would just put people I know know more about these things than I do in charge of the specifics. Um, so basically what I'm saying is I don't, I don't feel qualified to make any decisions about immigration, except that obviously we have a problem and it needs to get better. That's so unspecific. Um, why are you on this podcast, Rachel? I thought you were an expert political analyst. I am not an expert political analyst. (laughs) I don't even know where the majority of America's immigrants came from. Um, what would I do? I think if I were in charge of American immigration, I would talk to as many people as I possibly could who had real life experiences with America's current immigration and try and make decisions from there. Um, Because that's what you should do when you're not an expert in something. And that is something that I don't think Trump will ever do is just listen to people who have lived experiences and do what they think will help make things better. I'm really scared that he's going to go after the dreamers. Oh. Um, which are, if you don't live in the U.S., um, the Dream Act is basically uh, people who are brought here like as young children. Um, there there was an act that was passed that now they can have like special status so that like they're not they like don't have green cards they're not citizens but they like have paperwork and they can go to school in the u.s because i mean they've lived here their entire lives most of them or a lot of them don't even remember their home countries or speak a language or anything and so obviously it would like be pretty bad to get sent back there and so a lot of these people i mean came forward revealed themselves as undocumented immigrants um or even just came forward after the act was to get this like to do the right thing and and to get this paperwork for something that they couldn't control um and in the past, Trump has spoken about possibly um, revoking the DREAM Act, which would just be horrible. I just, like, these people were all children when they came here. Like, how can you possibly, like, take the few things that they've been given away from? Like, I, it makes me so angry. I also absolutely know at least, at least one person who's become an American citizen while at college with us and probably at least one or two other people who are getting their citizenship right now and just imagine living most of your life in a country and then having that country say you can't you can't like be here anymore just how horrifying yeah and the the argument with immigration i was thinking about this the other day 
is, is kind of this America first idea, which is a really scary phrase for a lot of reasons, but this idea that like we need to take care of Americans first and like immigrants, immigrants will take our jobs and they will take our spots in schools and that kind of thing. Um, and that's a rhetoric I don't agree with for a lot of reasons, but I, one major thing that I honestly think is just a difference in how different people think of the world is I don't really strongly identify myself as an American. And it's not to say the like, cause, cause as much as I criticize this country and I do all the time, I know that I'm extremely lucky to be born here, to be born into a first world country, to have access to an education. Um, there, there's so many reasons to be grateful to be born here, but at the same time, like I, there are so many things that I identify myself as first before American. And one of the things I identify my first myself first is just like as a person, as a person who lives in the world. And I think part of that is because I spend so much time, um, living on the internet, really. That's, that's like a really, that's like a real thing now. Um, and so I don't have this sense that like these people who live in the same, artificial borders as me are somehow more important than people in other parts of the world um and i'm not like i'm I, and I, I i'm trying to be really genuine here is that i don't think of myself as morally superior for thinking like this but i i just think that this is in some way a generational shift in a, in a internet shift um and i think it's a genuine difference between and it's one not the reason but one of the reasons for different views on immigration mm. i um this summer have been working with a school and writing a lot of curriculum for them and the other day i was writing like a world civilization unit one of the first things it was like for sixth graders i think and uh, one of the first things that i like wrote that was suggested that i fit into the unit somehow was the idea that political borders like these arbitrary lines that you're talking about have usually almost nothing to do with cultural borders and that kind of just like for the next week like every time you know how when you're in the shower and your thoughts kind of just like devolve into like extremely meta thinking i just like for the next week like all i could think about was like how crazy is it that we have these arbitrary lines that exist for no no real reason and we fight over them and which side of a line someone's born on can give them an entirely different life for absolutely no reason. And it's, yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with her, what, with your sentiments there that like, when you think about it in the grand scheme of things, it seems, it seems so bizarre to say like, you can't cross our line because then you don't get the same rights as the people who happen to be born on our side of our line. Mm-hmm. And I do think that there are genuine cultural differences between different groups of people and that those cultural differences are important, but there's a difference between cultural groups and political lines, like you said. And I feel like, mm -hmm. especially for people in the U.S. and a lot of parts of the world, that we think of these lines as so fixed, even though a lot of them are relatively recent, and in some parts of the <laughs> world, they're still, like, ever-changing and they're still figuring it out, um... And I mean, just look at places like in, in there were parts of Mexico that became Texas and like the line right. moved behind people and suddenly like you're a Texan now. And it's like, what? We were just, what? That's what? <laughs> 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 and 
yeah, yeah. and that's that's wild. <laughs> I also just get this is backtracking a little bit, but so angry every time people talk about like protecting Americans first, because as I'm sure is true with you too, my first thought is like, well, most Americans, I'm going to say most are descended from people who were not born in North America. Like most of us are descended from immigrants and the, (laughs) the people that were like originally here obviously we did not care about and forcefully got rid of so like how can we now turn around and say like now we're just going to protect people who are already here when we have a history of not caring about the people who were already like originally here it's really hypocritical yeah it's like americans first but like these americans not those other ones because <laughs> white americans white yeah that's what we're getting at it's maybe it's racism <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Quinn. Hey, Rachel. Uh, I have a really, I have an interesting news story for you. Um, Tell me, if you were going to escape jail using only peanut butter, how would you do it? Are the prison guards allergic to peanut butter? No, they're not. (laughs) So that'd be really clever. Um, Essentially, there is a jail in Alabama called Walker County Jail. Um, and I, I'm totally dying because the NPR article that I'm reading off of has so many puns about sandwiches and jams. It's great. Um, but 12 inmates escaped from this jail using only peanut butter. What they did basically is they, um, they like stored up peanut butter from all of their meals and then they were able to use this old peanut butter as like putty, uh, to change the number over an exit door to make it look like a prison cell and then they basically went up to a new guard and they were like open this door for us and he was like oh okay i'm letting them back into their prison cell and instead he unlocked the door and they just walked out (laughs) and they were they were all recaptured but 12 people walked out of this door that they had altered the number using only old peanut butter which is absolutely the most brilliant plan i've ever heard okay (laughs) whoa how did that guard look at a sign that was made of peanut butter and say (laughs) That's a jail cell number. <laughs> Basically, um, some guy who is related to this case um, said, uh, he's a young guy talking about this guard. He hasn't been there that long. This young man was a weak link and they knew it. And man, how weak a link do you have to be to not notice that the number over the door is made of old peanut butter? <laughs> I can't even visualize this. I am so, I'm almost impressed. Like these, these people who escaped, um, it said that they were like 18 to 30 years old and some of them were in for like drug possession, um, and some for theft, but like some of them for attempted murder. Whoa. So like, (laughs) it's a little bit hard to be proud of someone who's in jail for attempted murder, but like, man, what a brilliant plan. That's the kind of thing that should only work in movies. And somehow it worked in real life. <laughs> I was just thinking, it's so weird to hear about jailbreaks that are, like, real. Because I feel like we see a lot of those depictions in movies. And mm-hmm. I guess people actually do break out of jail in real life. Yeah. Uh, one of the a sheriff interviewed about this basically, like, made a really snarky comment about how they won't be getting peanut butter anymore. I wouldn't give them peanut butter anymore. Or I just <laughs> fire that guard. It should not have been able to work. Yeah. 
that really in in no real world should have worked um do you but think it that did. when the guard actually unlocked the door they were like hell yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably they were probably like wow we are surprised that it worked um I'm guessing that this young guard did not expect to be tripped to be tricked that way. So, yeah, that's that's my story. I mean, you gotta give them points for creativity. I I so do give them points for creativity. However, for all the for all the cleverness that went into making this plan, they did not get very far, and they were all recaptured within 24 hours. Um, but you know, 24 hours in the sun. Honestly, half of them probably didn't even expect for it to work, so they were just like, "Cool, I'm gonna go get a smoothie." And then just what now? <laughs> waiting for me to get picked up again. Yeah, but I just mm-hmm. I need to take a minute to think about all the things that someone had to think of to make this work. Someone had to like have peanut butter long enough to notice that it turned the color of the signs of the jail cells. Yeah, and then someone had to study the font of the signs of the jail cells to make sure that they could recreate it perfectly. How did they even get it? If that was the exit sign, how did they get it up there? I have absolutely no idea. There are so many details of the story that I feel like I'm missing, and I really just need, like, a movie of it. Like, a short film. I could see a short film. Or this could be this could be featured on a some kind of um, miniseries about prison breaks. Maybe it should be featured on the show Prison Break. <laughs> there, is a, there is a show called Prison Break that sounded weird as I started to say the sentence. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's it's been it's been my honor to start the tradition of guest hosts bringing hilarious and weird stories from the news. Yeah, this is a tradition now, just because <laughs> Rachel showed up with the story, and I'm like, that's not a real topic, but I want you to tell me about it. You're so, welcome. if we ever have a guest host again, um, I want them to bring me a silly story and joy into my life. And now, every time you eat peanut butter, you can think about this amazing feat of human talent. So apparently this episode is slightly historically themed uh, because our last topic of the day is about some television news. Um, So very recently, the creators of Game of Thrones and HBO announced there was going to be a new HBO show um, in development called Confederate. And it was going to be an alternate timeline in which the Confederacy won the Civil War. Um, and slavery still exists in some states, and they were going to explore that concept. And there was immediately a huge outrage over this announcement um, for a variety of fairly obvious reasons. The most pressing of it simply being um, that this is a really dangerous show to make in 2017 in our current political climate. And, you know, it's not like slavery is some far away event like in the far off past like the remnants of slavery are still like very alive and well today um and so that there was a big issue there um and then just a couple days ago another group of people announced that they were making a show called black america so this show is being made by will packer and eric magruder um and so will packer made some movies like girls trip and straight out of compton um and they said that this show's been in pre-production for over a year, but because of the whole hullabaloo over Confederate, they decided to announce it now. Um, and the concept of Black America is um, after the Civil War, what if freedmen and these freed slaves got reparations? Um, and so instead of dealing with the whole Jim Crow area and on 
segregation and all these things. Instead, they were just given um, three states. Let me get to what states it was. Oh, Louisiana, Mississippi, and Alabama, and they formed a nation called New Colonia. And then the show takes place in, you know, like the 21st century, and it looks at the relationship between the two countries, and they, they're supposed, they have like a tumultuous history of being both friend and foe, um, and just exploring this alternate history concept. And so we have two uh, parallel and very different shows in development, and so that is a very interesting thing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, my first thoughts on this, I did not hear about this until very recently, but my initial thought was like, it's so fascinating that two different groups of people decided to make like alternate history shows about this specific era and that they somehow went to totally different directions. <laughs> I'm also just like in general, like pretty fascinated by the idea of alternate histories. Um, but I really think that there's a need to be careful there, which I'm I'm sure like a lot of people agree with that it's in some ways when done well, like maybe it's a worthy thought experiment to like think about what could have been different so that you can like apply that to the future. Um, but this is not an era where we like where it is in any way productive or like even safe to be thinking about like what might have happened if the confederacy had won like our country's not in a place where we can think about that and not have people take it the wrong way um and yeah you have to you do have to be really careful even with like alternate histories of thought experiment like at what point does it just become like dangerous to think about what could have been um and at what point do you start taking away from focus on like what did actually happen and what we actually should be doing now yeah this is you gotta remember there's a lot of people in the united states who would prefer if the confederacy had won and who fly confederate flags and you know consider it their heritage um even though it was literally a rebellion against the united states that was the point anyway um and and so this is it this idea this alternate history timeline is i mean it of course it's interesting in some way um i mean i'm just i think uh, alternate history timelines are just cool in general but it's not reimagining anything in a substantial way because it maintains the same power dynamics that we have already it continues um what we were seeing um not that long ago in the past into the present day um like, it, it doesn't really require that much imagination to, to get this show. Like, this is really not very far off from things that we've seen, things that we are still experiencing. And so, on one level, it's kind of boring. Um, on, on another level, it could be really dangerous. You, you could, this is the kind of thing that white supremacist groups would use as recruitment footage. And that's terrifying to think about exactly like the kind of people who wish that the confederacy had won like we we cannot like give people with those beliefs like a platform as broad as a television show where their beliefs or what they wish had happened like plays out on a screen that's such a horrifying thought yeah and i don't 
I don't want to say that there's any kind of art that shouldn't be made. Like, I'm not, I mean, obviously I don't have this power, but I'm not, like, striking down these people and being like, no, you, like, you shouldn't make this. But I do have the personal opinion that um, it's very likely that it will be more negative than positive. And, I mean, obviously there's been a lot of concerns over the fact that these are two white men that made this announcement. And although they swear, like, they're going to fill the writer's room um, with black writers, and it's like, well, are you, though? And, like, are you going to do enough? Um, How are you, like, considering that they made Game of Thrones, which isn't exactly the most great depiction of like women and sexual violence i mean how are you gonna handle that in a show that also has slavery like mm. yeah and what are you thinking about black america um that's another one that i hadn't heard about until uh super recently but like i still i still agree that thinking about like alternate history timelines are cool um i again don't know a lot about the plans for the show and obviously it's not like a fully formed idea yet since it wasn't even supposed to be announced yet um but my initial thoughts are that it seems at least to be taking this subject and what happened in history in like a slightly more positive direction um as to as opposed to seeing like what would have happened if the confederacy had won like what would have happened if newly freed people had gotten the reparations that they deserve that like in our world right now they still absolutely have not gotten um so that sounds again like your idea of like what art should and should not be made like these both have similar ideas but are different in some crucial way like how can i say like this one should be made this one shouldn't but that one seems like it would have maybe like a better effect on culture or at least not be as dangerous in our like modern in what's happening in america right now as as the first one would be but i'm really not sure i would be interested in in seeing it maybe if the first one ends up happening which i'm assuming it will like comparing them and seeing how they both turn out yeah i think that just on artistry level it sounds just more interesting to me because of the stuff I was talking about earlier that like it genuinely is reimagining power dynamics it's thinking outside the box for consequences of the civil war as opposed to just like let's just continue the threads of what we already had in our past um it, it actually is like a real flip away from anything we've seen in the United States mm. that's a cool thing that's really true like the obviously the union won the civil war and like slavery ended but other than that like did much really change has much really changed since then so yeah i told i totally agree with that that black america seems like it's going in a, a much different direction really turning the world more on its head and creating like a real alternate history as opposed to something that's only kind of an alternate history yeah so while alternate history is a really like cool and tempting idea to some extent, it makes me nervous. I think it's very, very cool as an art idea, but it does it does make me nervous. For reasons that I don't even know that I can really articulate, but yeah. What did you think about... I mean, I don't know if you ever saw it, but the show The Man in the High Castle, which was basically a reimagining of the U.S. except for um, if Hitler won the Second World War. Ah, oh, I did not see it. Um, but 
I don't know. My my immediate reaction, I think I, I found the words to describe what I'm feeling, is that like so the most important thing to me about history is that we like make ourselves as aware as we possibly can of what happened and what that created. Um and so imagining alternate histories makes me nervous because it it makes me worried that we'll end up kind of erasing what what really happened. Um, and I don't know how founded that fear is, but that's kind of my initial reaction to everything that involves like tampering with history or like telling it differently. No, that's a legitimate thing. Um, there's a um, condition of people that strongly hold that um, Hamilton has negative effects on the way that we think about U.S. history because it kind of uh, glosses over slavery in a lot of ways and it, and it presents like um the the founding fathers as these like cool hip-hop people and they're people of color and even though that like they had slaves and they were pretty horrible in a lot of ways um and that's like we're not going to get into that whole debate mm. right now but that's <laughs> I yeah that's like that. a really interesting way of thinking about it um that i don't think is completely true but i don't think it's completely false either yeah, I mean, totally coincidentally, a couple days ago, I well, after I saw Indecent, which has now been relevant twice, um, after I saw Indecent, I Googled, like, basically, I was interested in if anyone had written anything about what the world have been like, what the world would have been like if the Holocaust hadn't happened, um, and I, so I kind of had a chance a couple of days ago to start thinking about what I what I think about like alternate history, and yeah, I think that there is a certain amount of value in it, and it's it's certainly like kind of fascinating as a thought experiment um but there's there's a point where you have to make sure that you are focusing your energy on knowing what did actually happen mm-hmm. i mean history we should be learning from our history i mean that's kind of the whole thing you know those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it and so i think there's a way that alternative history stories can help us with that and there's a way that they can harm that yeah i totally agree with that so we don't know how these shows are going to be. They haven't been made yet. And maybe them, they'll both will actually be great. And maybe they both will actually be awful shows. And maybe <laughs> Confederate will be a great show, but be super problematic and horrible with the way it treats slavery. And maybe Black America will just be awful in other ways. I don't know. They haven't been made yet. Um, <laughs> I... History hasn't happened yet on those fronts. I'm unlikely to watch Confederate unless it's getting a lot of attention for one reason or another. I am more likely to at least try out Black America, but I'm also not a good audience because I don't watch a whole lot of TV shows. So there's that. Yeah. I also just have issues with Game of Thrones level violence in TV shows. So we'll see if I can even handle Confederate. Um, But yeah, I agree that I would probably be more likely to watch Black America or at least try it out. But I'm so, I'm so, I'm so interested to see if these come out around the same time, like how the critical reception goes for both of them. Because I'm sure that this conversation will just get more intense and more informed as these shows like come to fruition. So many dual reviews. So many. (laughs) Okay. I think that's all we have time for today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me on your show. You got through the whole episode. Are you excited? I am so excited. I am so proud of myself. My back is sore. Oh, what? From like nerves and oh, from no. slouching. Okay. But um, 
Yeah. No, it's good. I'm good. Okay. Um, well, to wrap up the show a little bit, uh, I want to talk a little bit briefly about membership. Um, I talked about this kind of extensively last week because I was really excited. But we are now officially into August, which is anniversary month. And so in just a few short weeks, um, not even, we will have some bonus members content coming out for all of Relay FM members. So um, if you want to be a member, um, membership starts at only $5 a month. It's really great. You get a lot of cool stuff. You get the access to this feed, which has a bonus episode from every show um, throughout the month of August. Um, you get access to a behind-the-scenes newsletter, um, a special podcast that Stephen Hackett hosts that goes out every month, and sort of just like a members-only bonus feed that hosts a lot of like preview episodes for shows including a preview episode for this show that went out back in november so if you'd like to become a member of relay before the shows start coming out um that would be amazing and there'll be a link in the show notes to do that or you can go to relay.fm slash mixed feelings where you can support the show directly there if you'd like um jillian and i are going to be recording a bonus episode for this as well and i'm just gonna let you know that we will be watching a movie and talking about it the movie in question to be revealed soon is a good one yeah everybody should go support quinn's podcasts and all podcasts because especially in these times art is extremely important oh thank you <laughs> you can also if you want find us on twitter at mixed feelings fm or you can find me on twitter at aspiring robot fm um or you could find us in apple podcast where if you wanted you could leave us a review which would be pretty cool <laughs> So, Rachel, thank you for coming and being our first guest host. It was lovely talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. I feel like like a triple crown jockey champion for being on all three. <laughs> I've been setting that to call the triple crown. I didn't have time to Google it. It's called the triple crown. I'm dead. <laughs> I'm Quinn Rose. And I'm Rachel Foster. And these were our mixed feelings. I, I really wish that real life was like podcasting, where like if you start a sentence and you're like, oh no, this is not going anywhere good or that it should go. And I really need to think about this first, that you could just like stop and cut it out. That'd be great. <laughs>